Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member BME Nerd shares his story about striking out the first time during case interviews at McKinsey to landing the offer the second time around. Find out what changed that made the difference, the challenges pivoting from academia to management consulting, as well as advice he'd give to his younger self. Enjoy. BME nerd, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Patrick. Yeah, so no problem. It'd be great if you could give the listeners a quick summary of your background. Sure. So I'm now director of operations strategy at a mid-sized medical device company called DJO Global. Um, When I joined, we were owned by Blackstone. And in the year and a half that I've been here, um, we were we were able to transact the company to a new uh, conglomerate, publicly traded parent company. Um, it's been great. Uh, before that, I was I spent uh, a year and a half as an associate at McKinsey uh, in the Houston office. And so, a little bit about my past, just you know, getting to that point. Uh, I did my undergrad in physics at Cornell. I did uh, after that a PhD in biomedical engineering at Duke. Uh, and then wanted to work in consulting, um, but uh, didn't have a successful application. Um, and actually, on the date of my defense, my PhD defense, uh, you know, didn't know where I was going to go after grad school. Uh, I did a one-year postdoctoral fellowship, uh, which for, for uh, any of your listeners who aren't familiar with academia, uh, it's a typical kind of uh, training that you would do in between uh, getting a PhD and uh, developing more skills to prepare for a job as a professor. Um, I did that postdoctoral fellowship at the National Institutes of Health. Um, At some point during that fellowship, I decided to reapply to consulting, and uh, that time around was successful, and and, uh, and that's that's what led me to McKinsey, and and from there uh, in my current role today. That's great. So you're, you know, let's go all the way back to kind of undergrad. You know, you're a physics major, which is pretty intimidating, especially at an Ivy League school. Um, <laughs> tell me what kind of drew you to physics and was it super competitive and tough? I mean, you did well, um, but you know, and then on top of that, you're kind of graduating into the financial crisis or, or soon, soon thereafter. Now, tell me a little bit about your thought process in terms of careers. Did you know you were going to, wanted to go academia right after like and get an advanced degree? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you point that out that it was during the financial crisis. I graduated in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first class to graduate from college after the financial crisis. So, mm-hmm. you know, really interesting to look back on that. Um, at the time, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
uh, after undergrad, uh, tested the job market and, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, wasn't successful there and decided to go to grad school. Uh, I felt that uh, I had uh, grew intellectually quite a bit during uh, getting my bachelor's in physics. And uh, that's what led me to, to do a PhD. And so why biomedical engineer? Or actually, going back, did you try to apply to jobs? Were you trying to break into consulting back then in 2009 and just struck no, out? No, I actually hadn't heard of, hadn't, hadn't, uh, heard of the consulting role, wasn't familiar with it, didn't know it was accessible to somebody in a, in a science or engineering field. So I, I was uh, applying to roles that were more uh, in line with a physics degree, like uh, roles in national labs, engineering type roles. And just there were just were not very many openings given just the state of the economy and everything, the funding drying up and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So you're like, hey, might as well stay in school. I grew a lot intellectually. I'm going to go get my PhD. <laughs> kind of a <laughs> kind of a big decision. Um, did you have support from your family? Did they financially? Did were you working on the side, or you know, was it a consideration at all financial finances behind it? Because I know it can be a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it wasn't too difficult of a decision because uh, at various points in my undergraduate, I wanted to be a professor, thought about it. I really found my professors to be uh, uh, inspirational when I was in college. Mm -hmm. So when I decided to get a PhD, that was what I had in mind was to become a professor. Okay. Uh, financially and in terms of my family, uh, you get a small stipend when you go uh, to grad school for a PhD. Okay. Uh, because in addition to classes, you, you're doing, you're conducting uh, the research, kind of like the worker bee for the professors. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to support myself. Uh, although my family, you know, my parents didn't want me to be a doctor. So they were a little disappointed about that. <laughs> they said MD, not PhD, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, especially since you're in, you know, interesting, you went from physics to bio biomedical engineering. Why bio biomedical engineering? Just interested you at the time? Anything piqued your interest? Yeah, there's. I've just been on this uh, trajectory since the start of, and since the start of college, of just wanting to do things that are more and more applied. Uh, kind of started out in physics, really because that was one of the that was my favorite subject in high school, really. Yeah. And then after that, just when I was on this path to want to do things that would just more and more applied, have more of an impact on uh, the real world of society, have more of an immediate impact. Did you feel that, like you couldn't do that in physics? You felt like you couldn't do more like applied physics and stuff with that? Or you felt like, well, engineering, the switch to engineering and sort of less theoretical, right? Um, but why why medicine? Why, or why biomedical? Yeah, great question. And that's the reason for that is because you can actually do a lot of applied physics within biomedical engineering. And, okay. Uh, my, my PhD work was in medical imaging. So I was doing a lot of research on uh, x-rays and ultrasound. And I used a lot of the same concepts I learned in physics, uh, but it's uh, a lot of that research now happens in, in biomedical engineering. So you were going through this program, you're doing a lot of the, the lab work, you're kind of being the grunt for the professors. Um, you're writing your, you're, you're working on your, your own research at the same time as well, correct? That's right, yeah. Um, and then specifically, you know, I guess your time frame was about five years. Is that pretty standard? For the for the PhD track, I think it is right. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, at what point were you thinking management consulting is <laughs> is calling me? I mean, when did that kind of switch? Was it a few years in? 
It was. It was somewhere uh, towards the end of my PhD, maybe about three and a half or four years in. Mm-hmm. And what what made that switch? Why why did the the idea of being a professor kind of wane or 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 kind of lost its luster? I guess potentially to you. Yeah, you know, I think that in in a field like biomedical engineering, um, there's just always is a lot of that slant uh, among the community towards. Uh, commercializing your research, um, starting a business out of it. Uh, a lot more of my professors, as you can imagine, in biomedical engineering mm-hmm. uh, had, had spun off companies uh, relative to you know what I was seeing at Cornell when I was when I was doing physics. Yeah. Uh, the professors were more interested in the, in the purely scientific part of it, and so I, that's what kind of got me started thinking about uh, the business world. And I saw consulting as an opportunity to to bring my problem-solving skill. Uh, to to the business world and to in a in a forum where I could really learn how to do that. Uh, how how can I apply problem solving uh, to make an impact in the business world? So I saw it as a really good training ground. For sure, that's what drew me to it. For sure. And then, how did you learn about like the top consulting firms? Was it just through professors? Was it did you? Is that when you came across Wall Street Oasis? When was kind of what was that education like in terms of what your career might look like? Since I was uh, since I was at a target school, I did have uh, there were in, info sessions that the management consulting firms would have mm-hmm. uh, at Duke. Um, but with that, I just want to quickly mention that when I did get an offer at McKinsey, I was at the at the National Institutes of Health, uh, the NIH. That's when I was doing my my postdoctoral fellowship, which is not a target, <laughs> not a target school. So I just wanted to, to to point that out as well. Okay, fair. Um, and so. Tell me about the time. So you started kind of leaning towards potentially the business side, consulting specifically seemed interesting to you, good training ground to get that business experience, understand the industry a little bit more, um, work, you know, work, get outside of academia. Tell me that the prep you did leading up to your first kind of set of interviews with McKinsey and assume you interviewed with more than just McKinsey. Did you interview with That's other? Right, I yeah. did. And can you tell me I about did. just that whole recruiting process, the preparation? Were you too busy with the postdoc to really prepare a lot, or did you do a lot of preparation? Yeah, so I, I applied to McKinsey twice. Yeah. Um, the first time doing my PhD, I actually had more free time then. Uh, during my postdoc, I had uh, more of a demanding boss. Yeah. Uh, so ironically, you know, when I when I was spending more time at work, that was that was the the application that was successful. Uh, but in terms of the the process, the first time around, um, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to to uh, apply, get accepted to some of the uh, three day programs that that uh, so specifically McKinsey and BCG have three day program immersion programs for uh, people from non traditional backgrounds mm-hmm. or advanced degree backgrounds. Do those have a, a uh, name, a certain name, for the listeners? Yeah, it does. Uh, mm-hmm. So BCG's is called Bridge to BCG. Yep. And McKinsey's is called McKinsey Insight. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I think so I'd, I've seen discussions on the on the forum about them. I just wanted to get it out for the listeners so they knew that. Um, okay, so so yes, continue. So you got into those programs. Yeah, yeah, and, and what was significant about about that was that I just met a lot of people from around the country who were who were uh, in some in similar shoes, right? Who were preparing for case interviews, who were. Uh, from non-business backgrounds, and I just had a lot of case practice partners. You know, just every day had had you know, two, two or three people I could practice cases with on Skype, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how the process went for me. It was just, uh, just a volume of of uh, uh, practice or mock interviews. So um, it sounds like you're doing all the right things. So what do you think went 
wrong, just the competition was super tough? Um, or do you feel like there was a certain case that bombed there that you bombed or anything like that? Uh, no, I, I don't think it was the competition is too tough. It was definitely, it's definitely something that and there are definitely a lot of things I could have done differently. Um, and I learned, I learned that the second time around. Um, can you, I think talk, it can you was, talk to me about that? Yeah, not, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was just it wasn't being as. Uh, you know, there are a number of things I did differently uh, the second time around. I uh, just was more deliberate in my practice. Uh, you know, one of the sports I played a lot growing up was basketball, and I think of it like a now a basketball player can't can't become great just playing a lot of scrimmages, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have to also uh, hone specific skills like their fadeaway jump shot or their their crossover. Uh, and that's one of the things I did differently the second time around was in addition to practicing with case partners, I uh, just also did some practice by myself. Uh, then another thing I did differently was, was genuinely enjoyed business problems more. Uh, I, I, uh, part of that uh, practice, isolated practice, was on uh, articles that I would read in, in various publications like the Wall Street Journal, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just, just the development appreciation and, and just better uh, a lot better. Um, it definitely enhanced my comprehensiveness and creativity whenever I was structuring problems on on the case interviews. Uh, and I think the final, you know, another thing I did differently was just having more of a consistent strategy and, and finding out what really worked for me. Uh, I identified which you know, frameworks, you know, whose frameworks I liked the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, made flashcards, uh, you know, customized them. And, you know, that's just what worked personally for me. I think some people don't like to memorize frameworks, but I really just was, was more deliberate in my practice and, and thought about what worked personally best for me. So it sounds like you were doing a lot of the right stuff the first time around. You're still, you're doing a lot of the mock cases with partners, um, but you felt like some of that individual s- practice stepping away, some of the additional research you did just to, to become more knowledgeable of business in general, like through reading the Wall Street Journal actually helped make you more creative and a little more insightful. Is that accurate? Yeah, and then, that is. And I would yeah. I, one thing I want to just modify to that is it's it wasn't the when you talk about uh, you know reading reading the Wall Street Journal or the Economist magazine, mm-hmm. it wasn't the knowledge so much that I gained that was beneficial. It was more just the the appreciation of uh, the case interview skills and how they're applicable on, on real world problems. I don't think the knowledge is necessary, and you, know, you don't have to know anything about a specific industry. Uh, the case interviews pretty agnostic to that but it's just more that appreciation of, of uh the skills and you feel like that appreciation kind of was like show i don't know it allowed you to perform better in some sense or like, yeah i think i think it definitely enhanced my creativity yeah and just the comprehensiveness i think i think interviewers are kind of impressed by that if you can on a case interview if you can if you can talk about out-of-the-box ideas uh that that can make a difference and if and you're more likely to do that if you you know, enjoy thinking about these problems. You enjoy thinking about, uh, you know, what what can Walmart do to to take more market share from Amazon? If that's the kind of thing you you like thinking about. I think it, it'll shine through on a case so, interview. So, example on a case with that, you would instead of having three or four potential ideas, you might have six or seven, and it's just it just becomes more impressive because you're thinking across a whole range of of functions in the company, from marketing to say, you know, sales to pricing to to industry competitors, you know, everything. Um, Interesting. Okay, so it sounds yeah, and, and uh, yep. you know one thing I want to point out, Patrick, is that when you come from a non-business background, you might not have that appreciation all all the time. You know, if you yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, no. go ahead. No, that's fair. No, that's totally fair. So I think um, what's interesting about your background, so you kind of 
went through these these immersion programs, it, do you feel like that's a prerequisite for people that come from academia? Like you need to kind of get into those, or they're they're primarily pulling people from non-targets, like let's say with with uh, PhDs from those programs, or do they like? Let me rephrase. What percentage of the people that get these kind of offers that are PhDs come through those immersion programs? Is it like eighty percent, a hundred percent? Do you know that number? No, no, it's it's definitely not nearly that high. I I think okay. it's almost independent. Um, most of my the, the processes processes are entirely independent. I'd say okay. um, my interviewers uh, you know, didn't hadn't even heard of the programs themselves. Even. My McKinsey <laughs> interviewers didn't know what McKinsey Insight was. Are you serious? That's uh, hilarious. McKinsey, yeah, I mean, it's more of a, you know it's one of those things that maybe the recruiting uh, community within McKinsey knows about, but uh, the consultants themselves. They, you know, they didn't. I remember. I remember always being disappointed. Uh, oh yeah, they don't. I don't get an edge from this because nobody has heard of it. But were you so able to? It, were you able to talk to that program? I, I assume you're able to actually mention it in the in the interview at, at at least to be able to say, "Oh, I met with X Y Z, and it was really insightful." Or no, you didn't even pull on that. I, I don't think it made a difference. I think that okay. you know, you meet you meet people at information sessions or various yeah. networking events. And I think if, even if you're at a non-target school, I think. Um, I remember when I was at the NIH, uh, you know, BCG would host a networking event at their local office, um, at the Washington DC office. Mm -hmm. uh, that could have been an opportunity to meet, meet, you know, meet people that you could, uh, that you could meet in the same way at a, at an immersion program. Um, I also point out that, uh, the year I did the immersion program, I didn't get an offer, but the year I didn't do it, uh, was the one I did get an offer. So <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, it's valuable. Fair, fair. Okay, so then tell me a little bit about uh, BCG. Was it a similar process? How are the cases different? How was the the culture different? If you got a sense for that, yeah. Um, so the the cases are definitely, I think, less structured in the sense, in, and that's you know that's reflective of the uh, interviewee led format that they use. Uh, you know that puts a little bit puts you more in the driver's seat, so it's a little less structured. Also. Uh, in their final round, uh, they they allow their partners to have a little bit more liberty with the way they conduct the case interview. So their partners uh, who will, who give the case um, are a little bit more likely to freestyle it. Uh, McKinsey, on the other hand, uh, you'll have you know oil and gas partners giving you know, cases about the medical industry, and, and they're just going off of a standardized uh, worksheet for the case interview. So so McKinsey tries to stay a lot more structured. Uh, in a number of different ways. In terms I of how they're, in terms of how they're ranking candidates and whatnot, it maybe can versus versus BCG's a little more kind of freestyle. It sounds like that. So okay, so tell me how was that harder for you at BCG? Yeah, I think it is. I think I think that 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 format, um, you're more vulnerable to I think anxiety, getting nervous because you're you're kind of you're on the spot, right? And mm -hmm. uh, um, and also you're more likely to get. Uh, non-standardized cases from the partner. So I think for those two reasons, uh, the interviewee-led format and also uh, partners more likely to go off script, uh, you, you do have to, you know, you're a little bit more vulnerable to, to getting nervous. So how would you prep for an interviewee-led thing? Like just be prepared to kind of talk, continue talking through things and getting very little feedback along the way? Is that is that how I should think about it? Yeah, I think... I think the 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 biggest things uh, to keep in mind are you know, first the skills that are tested are the same uh they're fundamentally the same it's structuring uh creativity 
um, and math. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what is a little bit what what you should try to do to prepare for that unique format or or the different format that uh, of the interview we led is just get good at, at identifying transitions in the case. Um, you know, in the McKinsey style, the interviewer does that for you, kind of stops you and, and says, hey, we're doing, we want you to calculate X now. And so now you know, it's, hey, this is a math problem. I just got the signal. Right. With the BCG style, it's kind of up to you. I mean, you, you realize, hey, I, I, I want to calculate the revenue now. Um, and now you have to kind of uh, you know, label it for yourself. This is a math problem. Um, if necessary, get out a new sheet of paper. Uh, tell the interviewer that uh, you know this is how you want to go about the math part of the problem. Um, if it's if once you finish the math calculation, you kind of have to identify, hey, I've got the year one revenue. Um, you know, what's the next what's the next phase? Is it is it a brainstorming problem now? Is this enough revenue for the client? If not, you know, mm-hmm. I, I need to turn this into a brainstorming question. So I think it's up to you to kind of label when are you doing brainstorming? When when are you doing math? You're kind of um, leading you know, the, the McKinsey style. You're leading the transitions yeah. a lot more in the BCG interview versus McKinsey. They'll kind of prompt oh, you. Again, they're kind of leading. The sorry, they're just leading you. McKinsey leads you through the transitions a little bit more versus BCG. You kind of have to really just tell them when you're ready and what's next. I almost think that's a lot harder. You know? It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's scary because you have no idea if you're going down the right path or if you've made a big misstep, right? Um, maybe they do correct you and kind of point you down a different path, but tell me, so tell me a little bit about your time at, at McKinsey. It sounds like you had a lot of success there. Um, were the engagements interesting? Was the, did you feel like you were able to add a lot of value coming from an academic background or was there a really steep learning curve? You know, in some ways there was a steep learning curve in some ways, actually, uh, there, there were times at McKinsey where I felt like, wow, this is exactly like academia. I'm kind of surprised there aren't more PhDs here. Yeah. Uh, the times I felt like that was, um, you know, whenever I'd be looking at a slide deck from another team and I was trying to, uh, you know, take some of the, of the learnings that they did uh, for my particular case that I was working on or my particular project, mm-hmm. um, it felt a lot like academia. You know, you're, you're doing a literature review. Uh, you're understanding what's the state of the art, what's been done in your field. Uh, kind of like writing that uh, introduction section of a paper um, and having a bibliography. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the the slides were really dense with like charts and stuff like that, and and that that, that just felt a lot like academia at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there were there were areas where there's a really steep learning curve. I think spending all day uh, on the phone, um, uh, spending all day around a conference room table with other people working in teams. Uh, that's that was completely. I wasn't used to working in teams that intensely in that that uh for that much time during the day um in phd i was usually by myself uh mm-hmm. just kind of floating around in my own box was it uncomfortable um, was it now, uncomfortable for you it was at times yeah 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 definitely um you know having to go into it realizing that when i when i'm going into a phone call um i want to use that other person's time effectively i've got to there's this particular way to go about uh structuring the call communicating to everybody what what the call's about um Things were a lot more relaxed in meetings and, and during uh, grad school. You just kind of showed up and, and uh, talked about ideas. So it wasn't comfortable, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. It's tough. You're used to kind of doing your own research for so many years and kind of being your own director. And then you have to go in and be part of this like fast-moving team and um, on call, like you said, on calls and doing all these meetings. It's probably intimidating a little bit. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, the decision to kind of to leave and what was, you know, 
what were you looking for? What prompted that? Um, and kind of what you're, what you're up to now. Yeah. Uh, well, even, even when I got to McKinsey, I, my long-term goals were, uh, to be an operator of a business, to be, to be a leader in a business, may potentially own a P and L. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of leadership that I wanted to, to develop more of at the time I decided to, to leave McKinsey. I think at McKinsey, you develop a lot of, a lot of skills around thought leadership. Um, and then there's more of skills around people leadership and taking risks that I wanted to, to develop. And, and that's, that was ultimately what led to the decision to leave. Um, uh, now, now what I do is a big part of my role is, is not the day to day is not too different from what I did at McKinsey. Um, uh, as someone who's uh, like an internal consultant for our CEO, mm-hmm. uh, work on uh, you know, thought leadership, structuring problems, collecting data, storylining, uh, storylining PowerPoints, and making recommendations. I think what's most different is there's also like a project management component of my role uh, mm-hmm. today at DJO. Um, so that involves implementing some of the recommendations that I make and and just making sure it happens um, and leading the teams of, of, of people that that we need to get involved. Um, making sure that we get the funding that we need, you know, presenting proposals, following through on the on the various processes we, that we need to go through to, to get the funding that we need. So there's a few things that are different. Do you feel like it's it's at a size that's a good fit for you, where like you can you can make enough have enough of an impact um, still, or do you feel like um, is there an entrepreneurial bug in there somewhere? For you, <laughs> or do you feel like it's it's fun because you're you have the resources of such a large company that's doing really well um, to kind of move move markets? I mean, realistically, right? You know, the, some of the stuff you're doing is probably massive, and you're running large teams, right? So, w- what's your feeling on that? Do you enjoy kind of the position you're in, being a, a kind of in near senior leadership or at senior leadership? I do. Yeah, I like the role a lot. Um, I like the kind of uh, thought leadership that I'm able to bring and the kind of impact I'm able to have. Um, you know, if anything, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, just, just achieving more scale, you know, doing it in, a, in, in increasing positions of responsibility would, uh, is, uh, I think that would be the only difference. That's great. Do you, how, how do you feel, um, what do you feel was more valuable in terms of your, your work now, the time, you know, the year, year and a half at, at McKinsey or the five years doing your PhD? I think definitely the, the year and a half at McKinsey because uh, a lot of the same kinds of tools, um, approaches to problem solving, um, I'm able to carbon copy that, you know, it's, it's, it's use exactly that at, in my current role. Mm-hmm. And it's very effective. I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the time during PhD fed into what I was able to do at McKinsey and, and why I was able to be successful there. Sure. And um, this allowed me to, to, I think a lot of those skills I'm able to nest into the problem solving approach that uh, I gained from McKinsey. That's so helpful. I definitely think it was valuable. That's helpful. The, the five years of PhD. That's helpful. So in, in terms of before you jumped from McKinsey, can you tell me about how you kind of went about your job search? So you kind of knew you wanted to be on the operation side, operation strategy, and you know you wanted a senior leadership role. How did you go about that? Was it recruiters? How did you even find such a what seems like a very attractive position, interesting position? I mean, obviously yeah, a lot yeah. of doors. Obviously a lot of doors are open to you with, with the PhD and the McKinsey on your resume, right? But just out of curiosity, like what was your approach for that? Yeah, 
you know, there are a couple of different channels. Uh, I, you know, I really explored all of the different channels available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, applying to, to jobs on boards, uh, kind of the traditional route. Yep. Um, uh, working with headhunters who reached out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one was, and then also just you know, networking with people, uh, uh, cold, cold messaging people. But what was, what, what was most effective was, uh, actually using McKinsey's alumni job board. And I think that was effective because, um, it, I, immediately I was able to identify positions that, um, were a good fit for my skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I was able to identify people that I'd want to work with. Um, I really do, uh, I'm, I'm a big, big proponent of, the problem solving tools and the approaches that McKinsey uses. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that my boss today is thinks the same way as me. So I'm glad I, uh, the way I was able to find him and he's a, he's a former McKinsey consultant as well. Yeah. Um, I was able to find him through the McKinsey alumni job board. So, I mean, that was the most effective channel. I think applying to through job boards, you know, sometimes I apply to roles that, you know, my skill set's not best suited for. Um, and even if I got those roles, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. So that whole process of, you know, using the, the alumni job board makes a ton of sense. You know, you're, you're going to work for somebody that's been through learning the same tools, think similarly, how to structure problems, how to solve them. So it's a kind of a natural fit. Tell me a little bit about um, just the process, the interview process. So you're, is it, they're obviously not giving you case interviews anymore. Um, is it, what's the, what's the interview like at this more senior level? Um, is it more like fit tell me about a time when you had a challenge managing people is it more like that or is it um yeah just softer skills i'd love to hear a little bit about that yeah you know it was it ironically at times it was frustrating because i felt like it wasn't structured enough yeah uh sometimes i questioned uh my my prospective employers because uh they kind of didn't really interview me in a structured way yeah Uh, but uh the, the questions were more about just you know, it's a little ironic, but it's, the questions are more me asking them questions. And mm-hmm. my guess is, you know, now, even now that when I interview candidates uh, uh, for my teams, I, I bring a structured approach. But I guess uh, other other interviewees, other interviewers are, are more looking for this candidate. You know, how interested in, are they in the role? How much do they know about the company? Mm-hmm. Um, it was all, it was a lot more informal. Yeah. No, I would assume so. I'd assume so. And then tell me a little bit about, did you, is that the only place you interviewed or other, other interviews, other kind of strategy and operation roles? I know actually I interviewed at a lot of other places. Uh, they, they say you can only leave McKinsey once. And, <laughs> uh, what that, what that means is, uh, you know, it's probably the only time, uh, probably that I'll ever have the only opportunity I'll have to, to interview for, um, across all, really any, any industry. Um, I interviewed for roles in the public sector and um, medical device and uh, automotive and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so I just took the opportunity to explore a little bit, um, to think about what industry I wanted to work in, uh, what kind of what kind of company I wanted to work for, uh, a larger one, uh, a private equity owned firm like the one I'm at today or a publicly traded one. Mm-hmm. So I just explored and, uh, uh, you know, I, I definitely... Um, Ultimately, the decisions that I made were based on discussions with mentors of mine uh, about which opportunity would be the best to choose from. How did you find those mentors? Just again through the McKinsey alum network, primarily, or just your bosses? Uh, one, uh, one of those mentors was actually a transition coach. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, McKinsey's when I decided to leave, McKinsey was was incredibly supportive. They they not only had this great alumni board I mentioned, um, they not only have a search time paid search time. But uh, one of the surprises for me was that they assigned me a, a, 
transition coach. It's amazing. Who was a former? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know all this. Coach. This is unbelievable. Yeah, wow. he was great. Actually, it's a, I've actually retained him to be a, a career coach for me today because he was so helpful for me during that process. Um, okay. So he was one of my mentors. Uh, the other ones were were just um, you know friends of mine who had worked at McKinsey prior. That's great. And so tell me a little bit about, uh, we'll call it soon, but um, just in terms of the other, the other, you mentioned something that was interesting, you know, the decision between going public markets or maybe a private equity backed company, you ended up at a private equity backed company. Can you tell me a little bit or talk to the listeners a little bit about the pros and cons of each or how you thought yeah, about so, it? Um, uh, so, so I haven't, so I haven't worked at a, a publicly traded company and, until now, and now we're a subsidiary of one. But I can tell you about the essentially the advice I was getting from my mentors when I made that decision about sure. going to the my, going to a private equity owned firm, uh, and it really came down to um, you know, what's your opportunity to have impact, what's going to be your exposure to senior leadership, um, and what's going to be the exposure that you're going to get, the breadth of exposure you're going to get to to different types of problems the company's facing, and uh, the, you know the, the unanimous advice I was getting from my mentors was you know, going to a smaller uh, private equity owned firm that's looking to get transacted, uh, that is looking to increase its uh, EBITDA by uh, you know, aggressive goals every year. Uh, you're going to get more exposure to the CEO. Uh, you're going, your advice is going to be uh, taken um, more seriously and, and acted upon more likely. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to get exposure to a lot of different problems in the company and, and, and a lot of different functions, operations, um, you know, HR, uh, IT, and so on. So, so that's to me, uh, it just sounded like a better learning opportunity, uh, and, and to to go to a smaller private equity firm rather than a private equity owned company rather than a a larger, kind of better established uh, publicly traded firm. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that kind of makes sense too, because if you're going to a, a large firm that's already been transacted and it's in or gone IPO in the public markets, the CEO probably it's probably a larger team, so you can. You know, you get less less airtime with the with the senior leadership. Number one, number two, there's probably a little bit more conservative. You know, probably a little bit more conservative about making implementing kind of larger changes, system changes, and whatnot. So maybe it's harder to implement some of your ideas. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I agree. The quarter to quarter, you know, pressure that the CEO has is real. Um, Great. Well, anything you would kind of give uh, your younger self, any advice you'd give to your younger self or to any of these listeners that are, are maybe, you know, 10 years behind where you were or 15 years even? Yeah. Um, or where you are. Good question. Yeah, let me yeah. think about that for a second. Um, <laughs> like looking back, looking back, is there anything you would have maybe done differently or advice you'd give your younger self maybe as you were graduating college in a really tough time? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I think that you know, the the advice I'd give my younger self would would really be to um to to really clearly define uh, what it is that I'm that I'm uh, trying to do. You know, whether it's a case interview, you know, what what are the different skills you're trying to work on, and if it's just life in general, is structuring. You know, what is it? What is it you want to do? What's important to you in life, or what's what's important to you in the case interview? What what are the skills? Um, where do you need to pay more attention? Just being more mindful of, mm -hmm. of uh, you know, and, and better defining, you know, what is it, what it is that you're working on. I think there have been times where I've just worked so hard that I'm not really being mindful about, you know, defining what it is I'm looking for, what I need to work on, um, 
And to me, that's that's what made the big difference the second time around when I applied to McKinsey. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, today as well, I think uh, I, it's, it's something I apply in my personal life also. That's great. We'll leave it at that. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.